Well, we are here because none other than Luis Palau is in the house to share with us this morning. We're excited about that, yeah. And I was doing the math, Luis, and it was 25 years ago next month, March 25 years ago, I first met Luis Palau. I so wanted to do what he was doing, and he gave a message called Dream Great Dreams. And my wife and I were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that little message, Dream Great Dreams, touched my heart. And I was a senior in college and did an internship with his ministry team, and I had no idea for 25 years now that we'd have the privilege of knowing each other and for me to serve under his leadership and we've had a long series called Learning to Lead. And we've looked at the letter of 1 Timothy, but now we get a living letter in none other than Luis Palau to share with us the important things, especially as someone who's lived as long and seen as much as he has. So if you're open in any way, shape, or form to a new idea or to considering Jesus, I want you to listen up. But can we do this? Because we honor people. When I'm in England, if someone comes in of high authority like the queen or the king or prince or whoever, they, they rise up. And we don't honor people the way that we should. So I'm going to invite you to do something. Luis Pla is going to come up, but would you stand up and just recognize and honor this man of God as he comes to share the word of God. Give it up for Luis Palau. <laughs> we love you. Hey, thank you, man. Love you too. We love All you. All right. Sit down, sit down. Yeah, I sure appreciate it. It's great to be back. I was here a few years ago when I was really young, like <laughs> 81. And uh, to be back today is exciting in a way. Uh, to see Jose, 25 years, he was a little punk. And, uh, <laughs> but he had a great wife and she's still here. And now he's a father of a 16 and a 13-year-old and a man of God who goes all over the world. I, I, the few people I respect more, him and a few others of the elders here and the other churches. I'm so excited when you had last summer the, the deal at Hillsborough, uh, what you call it, stadium, and you're going to do it again, God willing, in August. Go for it, you know. Uh, Portland needs it, and uh, you are God's instruments in Portland. So I'm delighted now. Uh, my voice is trembling, I'll tell you why. Uh, one, because I'm old. And uh, secondly, because I got cancer. And a very interesting thing happened. Uh, a year ago, December, we got back with my wife. She's here somewhere, uh, so I gotta watch it. But uh, <laughs> so we came back from the UK, and I had a cold, and I couldn't shake it. And it was several weeks, you know, and I went to see my doctor. And uh, he said, oh, well, you'll get over it. It's winter, blah, blah, blah. Just about that, we're going to leave. She says, hey, let me take an x-ray just for fun. Fun. And uh, so she, she has fun. And he comes back and says, oh, man, I don't like what I see. I, I see a spot here. It doesn't look good. We better go see an oncologist. So uh, we went, and my boys went to see this oncologist that a friend of his who also has fun. And uh, so he, he says to me, I'm sorry, it's four, stage four lung cancer on your left lung. There's no cure. I said, surgery? No surgery. I was glad. I don't want surgery. I'd rather go to heaven. And uh, so he said, I said to him, well, what do we do? So well, you can take chemotherapy. I've had, heard a lot of stuff about chemotherapy. And I said, if I do it, how long will I live? He said, well, nine months, maybe 12. Thank you. And so then I said, if I don't do it, what happens? 
you'll be gone in four months. Okay, here we go, you know. And he was so cold-blooded. He's a nice guy, I'm sure. But he was so, I thought, I want to check with someone else. So he found a nice medical woman doctor, short, chubby, just a great uh, <laughs> an oncologist. And she was so much nicer. She said the same thing, but with a smile and, a, and, you know, and sort of a motherly look. You know, I love you, Louie, kind of thing. And, uh, but it's the same old thing. So we had treatment. Then that sort of helped a bit. And then we did a immunotherapy. And that was easy. I, I thought it was a placebo that they were playing with me. Now, this week, I forgot that I was going to preach here. And they, in a hurry, they said, we're going to start another chemotherapy. So they shoved some stuff, you know. You can check it out. It's all over. And, uh, I, and so I'm a little trembling. But I'm excited to be here because I want to talk to you about a subject that is, I've loved it all my life. I'm, I'm reading the Bible in a second. Uh, my dad was a young guy, 34 years old, in Argentina, where I was born. And I was a 10-year-old boy in boarding school. And so I was called by my grandma saying, your dad is very sick. You've got to get home quickly in Argentina and uh, go see him. I went home, and he'd just gone to be with Christ. And uh, my mom told me he had become a believer through missionaries who came to Argentina. And my dad knew where he was going. He was a young businessman doing well financially. He uh, got bronchopneumonia, and within a week, nine days, he was on his way. And so he sat up in bed, began to sing a song about heaven, clapping his hands, and quoted the words of St. Paul just before he died, he said, I'm going to be with Jesus, which is better by far. And a few moments later, my dad went to be with the Lord. So as a 10-year-old boy, I thought, man, this is the way to die, huh? Clapping your hands, singing, pointing to heaven, quoting the Bible. And all my life, I've preached all over the world with, with uh, Jose and with Phil Comer and many of you in this church. And I've always talked about heaven. I almost never missed it. But now, now that I'm on my way, and it's a matter of weeks, you know, suddenly it's more exciting, in a way. And, uh, you know, it, is, it actually is. And, and uh, you want to talk about it more. It's like when you're going to go on a vacation, say, to China or something, and you've never been there before. You pick up all the maps and all the books, and you want to know, you know, what's it really like? The other day when they were burying President Bush, I saw that his minister, uh, who was a, a true Christian, he said to him, hey, tell me everything you know about heaven, Bush said to him. So he told him, well, I'm going to tell you everything I know about heaven. Believe me, I've been studying it. So uh, write it down because when your day comes and you have lung for whatever cancer, you better look it up again, okay? But you know, people have funny ideas about heaven. I'm going to read what the Bible says. I, I, the other day, I picked up in a magazine about kids all over the country, boys and girls about seven, eight, or nine years old, and what they think about heaven. And old-timers also invent stuff. In our church, we had a, a, the, the mother-in-law of our pastor about 30 years ago. She died, and somebody said, oh, Nana is an angel now. Yeah, Nana is Nana. She's not an angel, you know. <laughs> she happens to be in heaven, but he ain't, she ain't no angel, and she wasn't an angel when she was on earth. Uh -huh. I, I heard that. I have no proof. Uh, 
But uh, so that's an adult saying. These are these kids. I love it. One day my, I was watching Oprah Winfrey. Not that I watch her, but my wife does. And I walked by. <laughs> and uh, there was a little girl, nine-year-old. And uh, Oprah said, what do you think about most? And this nine-year-old girl said, death. Nine years old. I thought, ah, kids care. I cared when I was a kid. Kids know, and they get it better than adults. But anyway, listen to these kids, really bright guys, probably from California. And this <laughs> says this one, when I die, listen to this carefully, I don't want to go to heaven because I want to be with all my friends. <laughs> so must have been naughty boys. Uh -huh. When you die, this one's really deep, Steve, eight years old. When you die, God takes care of you like your mother did when you were alive. Only God doesn't yell at you all the time. <laughs> That's his idea of heaven. Uh, this one is Jimmy, eight. When you die, they bury you in the ground and your soul goes to heaven. But your body can't go to heaven because it's too crowded up there already. <laughs> so you can tell they think. Judy, nine years old. Only the good people go to heaven. The other people go where it's hot all the time, like in Florida. <laughs> so to her, hell is Florida. And okay, what two more? Marsha, nine. When you when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> to her, that's not the last one is my favorite. He must be a Latino guy, because it says, I'm not afraid to die, because I I'm a Boy Scout. Ah, that's a real macho man, huh? I'm not afraid. But anyway, let's get serious, serious now. There's a passage in St. John, chapter 14, very famous. Many of you know it off by heart. But I want to read it. These are the words of Jesus Christ the night or the, yeah, a few hours before he was crucified. And he's telling his disciples what the, what the future holds. Beautiful, simple. It's the thing that gave me peace when my father died and my mother read it to us when we asked, where is he? Where is he? When will we, when we see him again? You know. So here we go. Listen to John 14, verses 1 through 6. This is the Word of God, the words of Jesus Christ. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and snatch you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. One of the disciples said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, we'll look at it in a few seconds. Let me read you another beautiful little passage. It's in the book of Acts, and it's the first person recorded in the Bible who was killed because of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, in some parts of the world, people are being killed for following Jesus even today. This is the first one recorded in the Bible, probably the first one that ever happened in history. And in chapter 7, his name was Stephen. He was giving a speech to the religious leaders in, in the town. And then when he finished a long speech, this is what happened. Uh, he said, when they heard this, the crowd was furious 
and gnash their teeth at him. But Stephen, listen carefully because it really is significant, every word almost, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul later became the famous Saint Paul because he was converted. Okay, here we close. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There's another one I feel tempted to read, but it's a bit, a bit longish. Well, no, I'll do it. Let me do it. Because then it's not my words. It's the words of God that really count. Listen to this one. Just nine verses, but really almost every word is worth gold. So listen as carefully as you can, and I'll try and read it as in good English as I can. Here we go. Now we know that if this earthly tent, the body, is, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, he calls the body a tent, we groan and we are burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and we know that as long as we are uh, live, excuse me, as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and here we go, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Word of God. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, and I encourage you to read it for yourself and enjoy it. Now, for all the joking, I have a serious quotation from a famous writer called C.S. Lewis. He's a brilliant guy, Oxford, Cambridge, and a, a believer who had been a, 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 an atheist, and then in World War I, God touched him. And he said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. That's an important thought. So here we go. Uh, God has revealed himself, as most of you in this church know very well, in writing. He has revealed himself in person by becoming Jesus Christ, the man born of the blessed 
Virgin Mary. And uh, he also has reveals himself by the Holy Spirit in your heart. So when the pastor said a few minutes ago, as you listen, ask God to speak to you by the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you, taking the Word of God, taking the messages, and speaking to your soul. So if you, at the end, want to surrender to Christ, it's God calling you. But you know, the, the, the beautiful thing is that in the Bible, God has revealed himself in simple ways that a humble, uneducated, someone in Latin America where I come from, in the mountains, who hasn't even finished second grade, hears the reading of the Bible and he gets it, or she gets it. And an educated Oxford professor, or Cambridge, or Harvard, or Yale, like C.S. Lewis, if they want to, they can get it too. God has a way of explaining things in terms that we can get. When we get to heaven, we'll understand it all. But it's exciting to know God has revealed it. So I, in these last 12 months, believe me, I'm looking for every verse that talks about heaven. I, I've got about, oh, my wife says, never give the numbers. They're going to run out the door. But I have about 15 points, okay? So I'm running, okay? Here we go. First of all, I found out studying it, even though I've been reading it for 60 years, but now that I took it really seriously, the first thing I, I rediscovered is this. Heaven is the place where God's uh, throne is established. He says in several places, it says, uh, uh, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And you know, when you are reading in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, it says, I saw a door open in heaven and a throne right in front of me. And it paints a picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father seated on the throne, the Lord Jesus seated on his right hand, and the Holy Spirit of God hovering over the throne in glory. And it says it's like a rainbow uh, over the, and brilliant and bright in colors. And it's a, uh, that's it, the, 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 the word throne I think it's mentioned 17 times in the book of Revelation. And basically, it's a throne of glory where God Almighty, the Creator, is seated watching His people around the world. He created everything, and that's one. Number two, there's also a throne of judgment. It's called the Great White Throne. And we'll talk about that at the end, just a little bit, tiny bit. But heaven is a place where God is enthroned and He's watching what's happened in the world, and we are His children who belong to Him, and He's watching us, and He knows us, and He loves us, and He has a plan for each one, one of our lives. Now, you know, I've said it the other day at Old Solid Rock Church. I'll say it again today. When you die, there are only two airports that you can take off on. And in English, they both start with the letter H. The one is heaven, and the other one, I hate to tell you, it's hell. And that one is not recommended for anyone. Uh, planes crash land over there. Uh, the others land smoothly in heaven. And no kidding, there are only two airports when you die. And you go one or the other. There are no options. And so I want you to think of that as you're thinking this morning, as God speaks to your heart. You either go to heaven because you've opened your heart to Christ and you become a child of God and you have the assurance of eternal life, or you condemn yourself to go to the other airport that I do not recommend and the Bible doesn't recommend. In fact, John the Baptist, one of Jesus' assistants, said, flee from the wrath to come. Run, 
run like hell from hell. That's not in the Bible, but I, 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 yeah, run like hell from hell. It's not the place to land, boys, boys and girls. It just isn't. It, uh, anyway, let's not go on. Yeah. Number two, heaven is filled with millions and millions and thousands of multitudes of people from all over the world. This is one of my favorite verses. A multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language, all filling heaven. Millions. is said no one can count them. That's how many there are. And you know it's true. There's a lot of people who reject God, reject Jesus Christ. But think of how many do, do revere God. And think of all the babies who've been aborted by parents. And think of all those babies. They are redeemed by the blood of Christ. They're in heaven. Millions upon millions and millions and millions. So heaven is going to be crowded with multitudes of people worshiping God Almighty, bowing before our Creator, bowing before our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's a beautiful place, a massive place. Uh, uh, Hillsborough Stadium is nothing compared to heaven, you know. It's pretty exciting to see the crowds out there. But, you know, and God wants you to go to heaven. You guys, men, you women who are here today, and maybe for whatever reason, you haven't walked with God or you haven't cared. But God still loves you. And he says, come, come to me, come to me. I want you to come to the Father's house. That's the third thing that the Bible teaches. I don't know if you noticed when I read it. It says, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. The old translation says that. There are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I love that word, you know. In my Father's house, that's heaven, Jesus says, there are many mansions. I love the idea of mansions. Some of these translations say there are many rooms. Sounds like a Motel 6 to me. You know, I, I just don't like that. I, I want a mansion in heaven. You, know, you can keep the Motel 6. I'm all for them when you don't have cash. But, uh, you know, uh, go, go to a mansion, not to a motel. I mean, uh, but the Lord says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. There's room for you. And there's always room for one more person to come to Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I feel so emotional this last year because I've always loved people. And we've been in 80 countries proclaiming Jesus Christ. And you can never get enough of people coming to Christ. But I think of how many Americans, like you folks here today, immigrants or native-born, and perhaps you don't have the assurance of eternal life. Why waste your life? Why not get ready to go to the Father's house? It's got to be the most glorious place that ever was, you know. Years ago, I used to think it must be like a house in the Caribbean, you know, with uh, lots of swimming pools and uh, fun and so on. It's better than the Caribbean. The Caribbean's polluted already, you know. Uh, <laughs> heaven is perfect. It's wonderful. And, you know, it's the Father's house. And the question is this. Is God your father? Because you'll go to your father's house. As Jesus said, it's really rough stuff. But he said, you obey your father, the devil, to people who refuse to repent. So we have one father or the other. Who is your spiritual father? God says, let me become your father. Now you say, well, if God is a creator, aren't we all children of God? Well, there's a difference. We're all created by God, but the Bible calls children of God the women and the men and the boys and girls and teenagers who've opened their heart to Christ. And you become a child of God by receiving Jesus Christ by faith into your heart. It says, to all those who receive him, it's in the book of John, who believe in his name, he gives them power to become 
Listen to this. Children of God. So you become a child of God when you open your heart to Jesus Christ. And that's why at the end, the pastor was saying something that I loved, that we're going to have a baptism so that you can, if you love it in your heart and you've been waiting for a chance to become a child of God, man or woman, boy or girl, teenagers, college kids, whatever your age, uh, that you can become a child of God by confessing Jesus Christ and by getting baptized, you're demonstrating it publicly. I follow Jesus Christ. And I would urge you, if you've never done it, give your heart to Christ today. You'll go home today dancing on one foot and you'll be so excited and you'll never forget this Sunday in February 2019. Yeah, thank you. 19. I'm so old I can't remember. Uh -huh. Number four, heaven is a place. You will see it when you read the Bible. A heaven where the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross of Calvary is the theme of the songs and the hymns and the praises. Over, there's about 17 hymns or songs in the book of Revelation. And the theme of almost all of them, there's somewhere the, the theme is God our Creator. Oh God, you are worthy of our worship because you created all things and you made us and we are alive because you made us. And so there's a lot of worship of God about creating us. We're alive. I'm so glad that I lived, you know. Some people say, I wish I'd have never been born. I never thought that in my life. Even with cancer, I'm glad I'm here, you know. I mean, God made me, put me on the earth and I love him for it. But the theme that most shines is the cross of Christ because, you know, if it wasn't for the cross, of Jesus Christ, where he paid for our sins when he died. We could never get into heaven. I'll get into that in a second over here. But you know, everybody in heaven worships Jesus Christ. The theme of the cross and the blood of Christ is central. And we will all be celebrating when you think of it. You know, uh, the, the stuff we've all done, the secrets we've got, the secrets and skeletons in our closet that we hope our mother-in-law never finds out. You know, I mean, uh, we all have stuff in our life. But the blood of Christ purifies from how many sins? All sin. The Bible says the blood of Jesus purifies from all sin. And so in heaven, we worship Him and thank Him. We're going to bow before Him. It's going to be so much fun. And you know the thing about heaven is that the Lord is revered and worshipped and honored and, and we bow before him. God's plan is a marvelous plan. And heaven is the culmination of everything that the Lord has for each one of you here this morning. I'm glad that in Argentina, way in South America, when I was 12 years old, two years after my father went to be with Christ, a missionary sat me down. And he was a young guy. He was only about 21. And I was 12. And he sat me down. And he said to me, Luis, if you die today, are you going to heaven or hell? I mean, imagine asking a sweet little boy uh, <laughs> such a question. I wasn't sweet, but I was a little boy. <laughs> but I said, I'm going to hell. And he said, why? I said, well, I got a foul mouth. I get mad at playing soccer. And I beat up on my sisters. I had five sisters. You beat them up. You had five too. And uh, <laughs> no, not really. There was, he said, okay, you're going to hell. Is that where you want to go? I said, no, I want, I want to go to heaven. He said, all right, you know what you have to do. I said, and I had been in church, so I said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And he said, yeah, yeah, but let me look at it a little more here. So he pulled out a verse in Romans that says, if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you shall be saved. It isn't complicated. It isn't heavy. It's just believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your lips, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Lord. And when you get baptized, that's what you're really doing. You're just saying, Jesus, from now on, you're my Lord. And the Lord says, good. Yeah, you're saved because I am your Savior. It's exciting. And you know, the assurance of heaven is a wonderful thing. I mean, think of people who die without knowing where they're going. It's awful. I just don't know how they can survive. I suppose that's why we have pills to sort of put us asleep and so on. But for us who know the Lord, we're alive. Another thing I learned about heaven, i got to hurry up, uh, is uh, there are books in heaven. Now, we know they're probably not literal books, but forget it. The Lord says there are books, there are books, okay? They probably have computers now. But in those days, it was, uh, it was books. And uh, the books in heaven have a, a, a record. There are books, plural, and there is a book, singular, two sets of books. The books, plural, must be enormous quantity. It's the books that have the name of every person on earth who has never repented or received Jesus Christ, and all their deeds are written down so that when you face God as the judge at the end of history, it's going to be all in the books. And they're going to say, remember what you did in Houston in 1978? You know? Okay, it's all recorded here. Oh, I thought I'd forgotten. Yeah, well, I haven't forgotten. You know? So all your story is there. It's going to be a big book. And uh, books. And then the other book only has names on it. It's called the Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life. And all they have there is your name and your name and my name who have repented and received Jesus Christ. All our sins are wiped out. So they're not in the book. We are forgiven, wiped out. And uh, all, only your name is there. Uh, is Luis Palau? Yes, sir. Uh, my name's there since I was 12 years old. And because of Jesus, none of my sins are going to show up. Uh, Satan would love to tell people, oh, I know Louis when he was in Argentina, blah, 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 and all this and that. And the Lord's going to say, it's nowhere to be seen. It's been forgiven, forgotten, and erased. And you know, so is your name written in the book of life? You have to write it yourself by faith, by saying, Lord, forgive me my sins. Write me down in the book of life. I want to be with you, Lord, for all of eternity. And you know, it's real. It, it, it's just amazing. And you know what will happen? The Holy Spirit of God will come into your life, and it will testify with you that you really are a child of God. It, it's true. It's not only in writing, documented in the book, but it's confirmed by the Holy Spirit, who is the actual author of the book. And he, in your spirit, tells you, peace, baby, peace. You're forgiven. You're my child. Your sins are gone. You're coming to heaven. I tell you, there's nothing like it. When you hear that your turn is coming, you've got to know that. And I urge you, do it now. Don't wait till you get to be an old man or an old woman. Come to Christ the sooner the better and walk with God. The next thing I want to tell you quickly before my wife stands up and walks out is this. <laughs> heaven is a happy place, a happy place for the people of God, the children of God. It's going to be singing and laughing and having fun. Everything you dream of on earth, which seldom happens in the end, in heaven, it'll happen because it's perfection. And God has it all planned. And it's a place of joy, happiness, singing, partying in the, in the good sense of party. You know, all that is happening in heaven. The next thing I wrote down, and this one's important. Heaven is a place of total holiness 
and pure morality. There's no sin in heaven. No sinners who are practicing sin. Spurgeon, a famous preacher, said, think of this. When we get to heaven, we will never sin again. Man, I just thought of that only this past year. What a relief. No more having to, oh, Lord, have mercy. You know, uh, we all have to do some of that. You know, but we are forgiven. And we will, we will be there. But nothing impure shall enter there, the Bible says. So you have to come to Christ. Because the only way to have a pure heart in the eyes of God is for you to be honest and sincere and confess and say, Lord, I don't deserve heaven, but I thank you for your mercy. I believe in you, Lord. And you confess him with your lips. And then heaven will be a place of perfect service to God. You know, here on earth, we try to serve God, but we make mistakes, we get lazy, we forget, we lose our cool, we don't remember what to say to people, we're afraid of them, they're going to make fun of us, so we don't serve Him like we should. In heaven, it will be absolute service, perfect. And the Bible tells us He's going to assign us jobs. I don't know what they'll be. I hope it isn't too hard. I, I'm lazy by nature. I just, I just want to have fun. Uh, but uh, I, I think the Lord is going to give us responsibility to oversee this and oversee that. We're going to rule over certain places. The Bible explains it. You'll have to read it for yourself. But then one thing that has struck me always, and I hope that all of you will take what the Bible teaches literally, in the good sense of literally, and it's this. The Bible wants us to think of heaven. Every time almost that it speaks about heaven, it talks about up there. Always it says up. Jesus came down from heaven. Jesus went back up to heaven. Stephen, when we read it a few minutes ago, he looked up to heaven and saw heaven open and Jesus standing. Now, you know, in the Bible it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God because what he did on the cross was finished work and therefore he sat down. But here when Stephen was uh, being stoned and he was about to go to be with the Lord, it, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing by the throne. And Billy Graham one day said, I think Jesus, of course, is seated at the right hand of the Father. But when he saw Stephen being stoned to death and confessing Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ got up and said, welcome home, Stephen, welcome home. You know, I, I like that. I like that because Jesus Christ watches. And he says, I don't know if you noticed, when I was reading, it says, uh, he, he says, if I go, I'll prepare a place for you and I will come again and snatch you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know, there's two ways, really. The only way to heaven is Jesus. But Jesus comes to get us in two ways. First, you know he's coming back. The Bible says he will come back in the clouds. And then all the millions of people around the world who are alive at that moment, we will all be snatched up. He could come this afternoon before the Super Bowl. Fooey. They can keep it over there and let the New Orleans people bellyache. But, uh, you know, uh, we... we he comes this afternoon. We all go up to heaven, all of us who belong to the Lord. Our bodies transformed into not soulish bodies, but spirit bodies, spiritual bodies, and we will go to be with the Lord. But he said, I will come again. But also, my wife came up with this one, and I like it. Uh, Jesus comes to get us, every one of us, as we go. If my turn is coming up in a few weeks, I, I, he's coming for me, Louis Palooey. You know, I mean, imagine the Lord's coming to get me. I said, I'm coming again and take you to myself. 
Take it. He wants us to be with him. And he says in the book of John, I'm coming to an end. At the book of John, he said, Father, I want those that you gave me, that they should be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory that you gave me before the creation of the world, because you love me. Ah, that's so nice, you know. Jesus Christ wants you as a woman. He wants you as a man. No matter how wild you may have been, how many silly things you've done, how many, I'm going to use a word you shouldn't use, how many stupid things you've done, you know, God says, I love you and I want you to enjoy eternity with me. God loves us more than we can imagine. But we have to take the right step ourselves. And so when he says, he wants us to think of heaven up there. Always when you think about it. Hell is always told about down there. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll understand the details. But it's good to think the way God wants us to think. And he wants you to think of heaven as up there. Okay. Next to last three points. One, heaven is a place of complete perfection. Complete perfection. Let me give you four areas. First one. It says, this is amazing. It says, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean the face will be like Jesus Christ or the appearance. But what it is, moral perfection. We will have the same qualities of character because God will put them in us. We will have the character of Jesus Christ. We shall be like him. Think about that. That's perfection. All of us would love to be perfect. Most of us, anyway. And, uh, but, 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 but we aren't. But when you come to know God and you come to Christ, we shall be like him. Number two, we shall know as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13, when it's talking about the love, it's a, it, it, it'll be perfect knowledge. The questions you and I have, why, for instance, why did God take my dad when he was only 34 and left me and five little sisters? I mean, why? I, I'm not questioning God, but I, I am interested. I wonder why. You know, why violence? Why uh, this and that? We all have questions. It will be answered. And it says, we shall know as we are known. We will know everything you want to know. So cheer up. Don't waste too much time uh, jumping and beating up on yourself because you don't know everything now. The day will come when we will understand. And we're going to go, oh, I get it. Uh, why didn't I get it before, you know? Because you're stupid, that's why, you know? <laughs> but, you know, we'll get it because the Lord will say, can't you see it, dummy? This is what I was trying to do. That's why I allowed that to happen. Number four, three, whatever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love that. Man, oh, man. I, I don't mind crying like an idiot. But, you know, it, uh, you finally say, okay, enough tears. No more tears. No more crying, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. Man, that's going to be heaven. And that's exactly what it says. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. Man, hallelujah. Get excited, huh? Even on the west side of Portland, Oregon, you know? I mean, think of it. It's over. All the pain, all the agony, over. Now we're going to enjoy eternity in all its fullness. And then another thing, I'll finish perfection. We'll receive a new body. This body has to go. It's a mess. And it's a tent. It falls easy. One little hit by a car, bye-bye tent, you know. And, uh, but the new body will be adapted to our spirit. That's a profound thought. 1 Corinthians 15. Study it for yourself. But the new body will be, and we will have new bodies in heaven. Have bodies that will never fail, never falter. Fantastic. Everything you always dream of, there we go. 
Yeah, and then, uh, so, uh, now, okay, I, I got to make another point. This is important, so don't fall asleep on me. When you die, you go home to heaven instantly. The Bible says, I don't know if you notice it, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When a believer in Christ dies, the body stays on planet earth for the day of resurrection, but the person because, you know, the Bible says we are created in three parts, just like God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You and I are one in three, body, soul, and spirit. The body stays on earth. When the doctor says he's dead, you're dead. Uh, what does it mean? You are not there anymore. You're not living in your old body. Your old body's going to the cemetery. I got a plot up on the hills. They charge a lot to bury you. You know, I, I've paid it already. But uh, so you go to the, to the cemetery up on the hill, and you can look at the valley, except you can't see it. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, where is Louis? When his body goes and is buried at Westside Cemetery, where am I? I'm with the Lord. Me, Louis Pelaud, soul and spirit, the real me. The body is just a tent in which we live. And, but when we get to heaven, the new body will be perfect forever. But so it's important to know when he comes, uh, when you die, you go straight to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. People say you die, but in a sense, you didn't die. You just changed location from planet Earth to heaven. Straight, boom, you've gone into the presence of the Lord. It's so exciting that I just want to carry on here, but you're going to walk out on me. And uh, so the last thing I want to say is this. Are you prepared to meet God face to face. You know the most beautiful thing about everything about heaven that I just told you, I haven't told you yet. And it's this. His servants shall see his face. His servants shall see his face. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, your eyes shall see the king in his beauty. I've thought of that since I was a teenager when I first read it way down in Argentina. My eyes I'm going to see the King, Jesus Christ, in all his beauty. I can't wait, you know. Uh, uh, the pictures of Jesus are all over the place. In Latin America, our churches over there, the traditional church, Jesus, oh, yeah. uh, like he's in agony, you know. And I was thinking, he can't look that bad, you know. I mean, <laughs> in, in heaven, he's got to look so beautiful, you know. And we're going to see his face. One day in Santa Cruz, California, we're having a festival uh, during 9-11 uh, that week. And uh, there was a family called Wagner, and they um, were in charge of cleaning up the beach. And every night when we finished the festival, so that the police and the others wouldn't complain, they had a committee and they were in charge of keeping the beach clean. So one night, the la Saturday night, so Sunday was the last one, uh, I got a call from one of my team members and said, hey, Luis, something awful happened. The Wagner family father and mother, and only two girls, teenage girls, uh, Mandy and Carrie, 15 and 16 years old, they got rammed in when they were going home at 11 o'clock by a drunken woman in an SUV with three little kids in the back, and the two girls were killed on the spot. 15 and 16, the only kids they had. So I said, let's go in the morning to the hospital. At that night, it wasn't worth it. So we went early, and the nurse said to me, now you can't talk to Mrs. Uh, Mr., what you call him, because he, he's really out of it. But the wife might be able to talk to you. She wasn't hit quite as hard. So I went over to the bed and touched her hand, and she opened up her eyes, and uh, she said, Oh, Louise, you've come. I said, Yes, I heard. 
She said, you heard what happened to the girls? I said, yeah. He said, you know, think of this. Last night, the girls saw the face of Jesus for the first time in their life. And I thought, wow, what a thing for a mother who knows Christ. And those two beautiful girls love the Lord. They also love their cat. And, uh, <laughs> but the two of them went to be with the Lord. And you know the thought the girls saw. And then she said, I always thought that my husband and I would be the first ones, and they beat us to it. And I thought, what a beautiful reality, dear friends, that when you go to heaven, you will see Jesus Christ in all his glory. Now, the Lord invites all of you to come to him. I'm glad that I did it when I was 12 years old. I understood exactly what was going on. I wasn't stupid, and I understood it, and I received Christ. And so Billy Graham tells a story, used to tell the story, of his grandma in North Carolina. And she was a believer in Christ, and she was dying, and the whole family was around the bed, and uh, suddenly grandma sat up in bed. She looked like she was gone. She sat up in bed, stretched out her arms, and said, there's Jesus, and she was gone. I thought, man, that's the way I want to go, huh? I mean, to see him somehow just there, and she went to be with the Lord. And then I remember a story of a little boy in Ireland. He was seven, eight years old. His dad was an atheist. I read it quite a few times. And the dad would never let him go to church. He was a widower, and that little boy was his boy, and he didn't want anything to do with God. He was mad. So the neighbor was a little old granny. Grannies, God uses grannies. Uh, the neighbor, she would go to him every Sunday and say, let me take your boy to Sunday school. He said, the hell with you. Pardon my Spanish. Uh, you know, <laughs> she said, you're not going to take my kid over to church. I don't want nothing to do with God. But finally, after months and months, he caved in one Sunday. And he said, okay, take him. Go ahead. So she took him. And when he came back from church, he said to his dad, dad, Today I was invited to go to heaven, and I accepted. And I want to ask you, have you accepted the invitation? Have you opened your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you said, yes, Lord, I accept the invitation. I don't deserve to go to heaven. If you've never done it, why not do it right now? All of you lovely ladies, you guys, why don't you give your life to Christ right now? And you may say, well, how do you do that? You simply pray a simple prayer in which you tell Jesus Christ that you want to be forgiven, that you want to become his child, that you want to go to heaven and be unembarrassed about heaven. Unembarrassed. It's God's house. It's where he wants you to go. Can I lead you in a prayer? Let's bow our heads in prayer now. And for all of you, my dear friends, who've come today, and maybe... You have never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're a churchy person, but never made the big decision. Or perhaps you've been away from God for many years, but today God is calling you, and you know it. Why don't you pray this prayer? Why don't you... Uh, I will guide you phrase by phrase. <clears throat> and if you feel it in your heart, would you pray out loud to Jesus Christ? And remember... He said these words, and they're for you, for you. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. So if in your heart you want him to come into your life, pray this prayer, would you? Oh God, my Father, you've spoken to my heart this morning. I thank you for what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus. Taking away my guilt, paying for my debts. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so undeserving, but you love me. And right now, Lord Jesus, I confess with my lips, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And so I'm yours forever. And one day I'll see you face to face in heaven. And I thank you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.